Hello and welcome to Season 2 of the Leading Through Uncertainty podcast. I'm Jude Jennison, founder of Leaders by Nature and host of this podcast, and I'm the author of the book Leading Through Uncertainty. In this series, I'll be delving into each of the chapters of the book and exploring what's the context of uncertainty, what are some of the challenges we face, and what are the habits and leadership behaviours that we need to adopt in order to navigate uncertainty more easily. Chapter 8 this week is called Co-Sensing and Co-Shaping the Future, and it starts as usual with a quote. There is no certainty in emergence. Instead, there is fluidity, flexibility and possibility. That freaks the life out of a lot of people. So true, isn't it? And as always, this chapter starts with a story of one of the horses as well. Opus suddenly kicked the stable door. Bang! He was standing in his stable next to the arena. He had his head over the door, watching intently all morning as clients led different horses. He never took his eyes off the clients and paused only to eat hay when we also stopped for a break. It often surprises clients that he shows so much commitment to being involved, even though he doesn't play an active hands-on role. Horses always work as a collective, which means they look out for each other all the time. If one of them is in the arena, the others always pay attention and communicate with each other constantly, even though they may be doing something else. Opus had been quiet all morning, and although I realised that he was watching us, the clients had been engrossed and largely unaware of his presence. As we turned to look at him, he's raised his head high and kicked the stable door again two or three times. It looks as though he wants something, I said. That was an understatement. There was nothing subtle about his communication. There never is. I went over to him. Opus head-butted me, then nudged the lock on his stable door. His message was clear. He wanted to come out. I put on his head collar and opened the stable door. He came barging out in a hurry, dragged me over to the arena, charged in like a young horse at the races, and pulled me over towards the clients. He went up to Ruth, the name has been changed to protect the client confidentiality, and then Opus head-butted her on the chest. She looked at me and raised her eyebrows in astonishment. I said, I think he wants to work with you. Are you willing? Ruth said yes. Since Opus's formal retirement from the leadership work, he's quite challenging to lead and usually plants his feet and refuses to move with clients. He requires complete clarity, confidence and purpose in a leader. Someone who knows exactly where they're going and communicates it balanced with gentleness, empathy and space for him to feel he has an opinion too. He certainly does. It takes an exceptionally skilled leader to balance the energy of driving results with the softness of nurturing incomplete harmony. Opus is the master of fine-tuning. Clients are often too kind and respectful towards him and he takes advantage of that. I explain that if you want to persuade your CEO to do something, you need to be compelling If you're too passive, too nice or too respectful, you're not influential. You need to connect, build trust and be assertive and clear. Ruth led Opus round the arena and he was relaxed and calm with her. He did everything she asked, which is highly unusual. Despite being an exceptional leader, Ruth lacked confidence in her leadership and often held back and put herself down. When she saw Opus march in with power and confidence, she knew she would need to find a different style than her usual one. Holding back and diminishing her power was not going to work here, any more than it does for Ruth at work. 
she set off with confidence, purpose and clarity. Opus matched her step for step. Ruth learned that when she did step up with true confidence, she was highly capable. As soon as they finished, Opus came back and headbutted me. He was ready to go. As I took the lead rope from Ruth, he dragged me to the gate and demanded to go back to the ringside seat of his stable. He was done and he made it clear. Ruth was shocked. She saw how Opus commanded such respect by being clear what he wanted. I explained that he doesn't always get exactly what he wants, but he never fails to communicate it. Ego to eco. The desire for fast results and high achievement often leads to a focus on the end goal and prevents connection, dialogue and collaboration. We need to develop the ability to co-sense and co-shape the future as a collective by sensing from the wider fields, including planetary, nature and physical body. This requires time and space, yet the fast pace of work is not conducive to this. Individual heroism is no longer relevant to leadership in an interconnected global economy and society. Many organisations continue to incentivise people based on personal achievement. This encourages self-serving leaders who are egocentric and interested in personal gain. Their impact on others is of secondary importance, which results in conflict and tension between departments as people compete for personal results. Collective leadership encourages people to act in service of a bigger picture. The focus is on taking responsibility for your personal impact, adhering to the values and integrity of the whole organisation and protecting the whole. And this requires a humility in leadership, a willingness to put the achievement of the whole above the success of personal gain. Collective leadership requires exploration and creativity and encourages experimentation, which is often feared in business. Co-sensing integrates thoughts and feelings into what is needed in the wider field. It requires the courage to have a go, the confidence to make mistakes and the willingness to learn from the experience and try again. A high performance culture benefits from setting targets that encourage teamwork and collaboration, but often fails to do so. The Western approach to leadership must shift from leading from the front and being the hero in the spotlight to inspiring, engaging and working together to improve the way that we live and work. Where can you switch more from self-serving leadership to being in service of a greater good? Slow down to speed up. Collective leadership takes more time initially to build relationships and establish the collective aims. The challenge is the challenge that leaders face is to slow down the pace in order to speed up. Momentum builds when human connection and strong relationships have been developed. The slowing down is momentary and it takes self-discipline to make space for it. While slowing down seems counterintuitive, the faster a conversation becomes, the more confused people are and the more people struggle to keep up. When they focus on being quick enough to get their own point of view across, they prevent co-creation as they focus on what they already know and cease to listen to each other. When you slow down conversation, there's more space for dialogue, listening and curiosity. This increases understanding of others and builds relationships more quickly. When you slow down, you have space to go beyond the, the known information that's available. New thoughts and ideas emerge by building on the thoughts and ideas of others and logical connections can be made by thinking them through carefully. 
When you slow down, you have space to pay attention at a deeper level, which leads to the ability to respond to fast-changing environments. So slowing down is paradoxically a crucial component of speeding up. We can achieve more and faster when we slow down and embrace dialogue and listening. Slowing down provides clarity on what you're thinking and feeling, enabling you to make more measured decisions by integrating the head, heart and gut. We need to give leaders the skills to slow down even when it's counterintuitive and help them recognise the importance of reflection. Through reflection, leaders increase self-awareness and understanding, explore different ways of doing things and allow new ideas to emerge. This fosters a culture of innovation as well as connection and supports a fast-paced, high-performance culture. A fast pace can create disconnection as people struggle to keep up. Instead, they tend to veer the conversation towards what they already know and strive to get their opinion across. This prevents collaboration and doesn't allow for explanation and understanding. Where are you disconnected? Where do you need to slow down? Every time you experience disconnection, try slowing down to reconnect. It creates space to understand others at a non-verbal level, recognising the values, beliefs and drivers behind the approach of others. This increases trust and creates a level of intimacy in a team. Um, and the following is a case study, um, and I've called the client Richard, uh, although this is the experience of more than one client, and, and the name has been changed to protect the confidentiality. Richard took Callie's lead rope and set off down the arena. It never occurred to him to invite her to come with him. He assumed she would follow. As he walked away, Callie never moved a foot, but she turned her head sharply away from him, causing such tension in the lead rope that Richard was dragged back. He looked surprised. He was in such a hurry that it shocked him that she wouldn't go willingly. Richard didn't make time to build a connection with Callie and she was going nowhere without it. I explained that she wanted to be in relationship, so he stood stroking her. But Richard's mind continued to be on the end goal of how he could get her to move and complete the task. After spending time stroking Callie, then trying to get her to move and failing, I asked him whether he was doing relationship or being in relationship. Richard wasn't sure what I meant at first, and then he realised. He was stroking Callie because he thought it was a necessary step to complete the task, not because he wanted to be in relationship with her. The relationship wasn't congruent. The perceived connection of him stroking Callie was another essential task that slowed down the overall goal. Once Richard realised this, he spent time with her to truly build a connection. This time she engaged with him quickly and off they went. As they walked, Richard was sensing into Callie's needs. While he had his own regular pace of doing things, Callie was much slower and Richard moderated his pace to encourage her to come with him. In the end, they found a joint pace that was faster than Callie's and slower than Richard's. They were co-sensing and co-shaping and finding their way together. At the far end of the arena, Callie came to a stop. Richard wasn't sure why she, what she wanted, so he stopped too. Richard explained that he's very driven and often butts up against people whose opinion differs from his. He's known for being coercive and dominant, but he didn't know another way. Once he felt the difference between doing and being in relationship, Richard was able to start building better relationships in work too. Although he'd repeatedly had, had feedback at work asking him to build re better relationships, he'd never known how 
He needed the experience of it working and not working in an instant so that he could learn how to recalibrate his approach and fine-tune the way he did it. Working with Callie, Richard found a new way of co-creating that he'd never experienced before. The hard work of constant practice happened when he returned to the workplace. He now has a new reference point for the skill of co-shaping and co-sensing, and it's transforming his relationships at work. Flexibility. In a performance-driven culture, there's a tendency to go flat out in pursuit of achieving goals. Leaders need increased flexibility to allow human connection when leading through uncertainty. When we pay attention to what is needed by each member of the team, as well as the overall organisation, we collaborate more effectively and lead more collectively. A performance-driven culture often doesn't allow for mistakes, and this makes the environment unsafe and becomes a barrier to connection. Connection can look and feel very different to everyone and therefore flexibility is needed to create an intentional impact. Organisations that create a culture where it's safe to speak out increase creativity and innovation by allowing people to make mistakes and to take more liberties in different approaches. Most organisations have created the polar opposite to this. The culture is fast-paced, high pressure, rife with stress, overwhelm, control, fear and polarisation all of which prevent flexibility, a slower pace, and the ability to co-create the future. In such a culture, risks are rarely reported honestly and become apparent only when they crystallise into major issues, requiring corrective action that is typically expensive and time-consuming. Continual disruptive learning provides leaders with the skills to flex and recalibrate moment by moment. Careful consideration should be given to how organisations create an environment for continual learning so that people learn how to co-create. Sensing from the wider field. Where do you have your best ideas? In the shower? Walking the dog? Riding your bike? Running? It's unlikely that you have them in the middle of a metre when you're reviewing progress against key performance indicators. Ideas don't come from cognitive processing. If you've ever had a sleepless night, you'll know that you rarely solve your problem until you get up. The more you lie awake trying to work something out, the more it eludes you. When you get up, have a shower, suddenly the answer's obvious, and you wish you hadn't spent two hours in the night tossing and turning over something so simple. The answer to many of the world's problems on both a micro and a macro level are within reach, but they're not in your head. Leaders who find time to switch off often find inspiration from things around them. Pushing and pulling doesn't yield results. Instead, it creates unnecessary stress and pressure and slows down innovation, creativity and ultimately results. We need to rebalance how we use the left and right brain functions and tap into the wisdom of a wider system. By slowing down and being willing to be flexible, You make space to co-create with others, to sense into the wider field of wisdom. The uncertainty of the era in which we live means that we respond to the global economic and political systems. Events in one country affect others, and changing market conditions require organisations to be more flexible. Large organisations often find it more difficult to respond quickly to changing markets. Against the backdrop of economic and political uncertainty, the millennials are influencing the workplace and so the requirements for employees are also changing. Organisations need to flex and respond quickly to continuous change.
when we pay attention to what is needed in the wider system outside, we can flex our approach and create new ways of working, as well as new products and services that meet the needs of the ever-evolving market. Companies such as Amazon have fundamentally shaped the way we shop, generating the online shopping phenomenon that we take so much for granted today. Technology provides opportunities for new businesses to spring up and quickly dominate a traditional market. Every business needs to stay focused on external conditions and be able to adapt quickly by sensing into the external environment and making use of the information. What information are you ignoring in the wider external environment and how does that inform you? Focus on looking forward is a key component of co-shaping from the external conditions. We might not be able to change the circumstances within which we are operating, but we can change our attitude and commit to finding new ways to operate. As more companies put all their budget into online learning only, it's essential for me as a business owner to articulate the difference between e-learning and experiential learning and the value of what I provide. What sets me apart is the substantial and rapid behavioural change that I can create in leaders by working with horses. In fact, these external market conditions shape the way I communicate with clients, ensuring that I articulate my benefits clearly. By sensing into my environment as well as understanding my strengths, I can create an opportunity for more clarity with my clients by articulating how the learning with horses has value and gets results in a way that they cannot achieve online or in a classroom. Micro versus macro. We often consider uncertainty at a macro level. We explore the uncertainty of the economic or political situation, define the strategy of an organisation and identify the product and services that might expand or disrupt an industry or market. Many people are skilled in this. In my interviews with numerous leaders, they were interested in strategic foresight. They explored the various scenarios that might get played out and the associated risks developed plans to mitigate those risks and were ready to respond according to whichever scenario occurred. This work is critical as we navigate uncertainty on a macro level, enabling business to consider the future and plan ahead. But despite planning and foresight, uncertainty continues. Unforeseen events will continue to affect our everyday working lives at a micro level and we need resilience and flexibility to adapt to changing situations. Effective leaders are always aware of operating on both a micro and macro level. It's important to balance the two, to make sense of what something means for you, your team, your organisation, the global economy and society. Too many decisions are made at either the micro or macro level and they have an unconscious ripple effect. When call centres were moved to India in the 1990s and manufacturing went to China, Few in the West considered the impact on society in their decision-making process. The decisions were largely based on the desire to reduce cost. The subsequent impact was the rise of the global economy, increased education in developing countries and the world as we know it today. The Western world rarely considered the impact to the employees in the local country whose jobs would disappear, how employment would change in the Western world, how countries like India and China would upskill their workforce, or the impact that that would have on society. These decisions shaped our present and our future. In making a decision, we created uncertainty without realising it. 
The unintended impact of offshoring was that local people in indigenous cultures were forced from their homes so that land could be used to build call centres and technology parks on a grand scale. Did anyone in those meetings consider this when they made the decisions? I, I highly doubt it. We can't consider what we don't see. If we were to make those decisions again, would we make them in the same way? Being conscious of the decisions we make is a crucial part of leading through uncertainty. At a micro level, how do you co-sense and co-shape decisions with your clients, teams and organisation? And at a macro level, how do your decisions affect the global economy, society and the planet? Movement. People spend huge amounts of time in meetings discussing things, providing updates, tuning out when others speak and becoming present only when it's their turn. If you sit in meetings like this or you run meetings like this, take a stand and shake it up. Everyone knows it's ineffective, yet somehow people collude and continue to play the role. This has a major impact on productivity in business. It's not leadership. It's often born out of a desire to bring people together but if they're not co-creating, it's not effective and leads to further disconnection. How can you encourage people in your team to co-create business results? Meetings are invaluable when people explore new ways of working together. They provide the space for people to collaborate, to explore what's working and what's not, and ultimately to consider how we move forward together. The key word here is movement. Meetings often go round and round in circles, with a lack of listening and a focus on needing to be right. There's no shortage of information or opinions, but there's no forward movement. Many people experience the frustration of analysis paralysis, where everyone has a different opinion. The lack of listening and dialogue prevents people from being understood and causes a team to be static far longer than is necessary. Someone needs to be willing to take the first step and create from it. I often see teams spend a long time planning how they're going to move a horse. What they fail to consider is that the horse has an opinion. If the team take the first step, they can adapt and change direction en route. Movement creates movement. When teams create movement, they create momentum. Once you've started, it's easier to review and modify your approach by being flexible as you go along. Trying to reach consensus before you begin leads to over-analysis, especially in uncertainty where the answers are unknown anyway. Where are you static and need to move? Planning and strategy are essential and have their place, but they're not the only thing we have in our toolkit. Over-planning often comes from a desire for certainty. Plans can be altered once they're underway. When leading through uncertainty, we need the skills to respond to unexpected events, unforeseen circumstances and sudden changes. If we don't develop the flexibility and adaptability to respond in the moment, we become static, generating more debate without listening and we create analysis paralysis. If you find yourself in a heated debate that's going nowhere or in analysis paralysis, change your approach. Movement is the impetus for co-shaping. By contrast, when we move away from something, we may move for the sake of moving. If you are moving before you have all the answers, be clear what you're moving towards. Movement for the sake of movement, movement can be as damaging as analysis paralysis. Where are you moving too quickly and need time to reflect? 
Movement requires leaders to take a risk, to have a go and trust that they can create in flow before major disasters happen. Unless you work on a production line where everything happens in a set process, work is no longer linear. Minor setbacks provide feedback that there's another way of doing things. If we pay attention to what's happening, we recover quickly and trust our instincts. We can avoid many of the failures that happen. We can co-shape and co-sense in process. Flexibility and agility are therefore crucial skills to develop in order to lead through uncertainty. So the, I've covered a lot in that chapter on co-shaping and co-sensing the, the future. It's really about letting go of needing to have all the answers because in uncertainty, by its very nature, we don't have the answers. So it's about having the flexibility, the willingness to have a go, to learn through trial and error, to pay attention to what's happening around you on a micro and a macro level, and to trust that you can create inflow and respond to events that are happening on a day-by-day basis. That's it this week. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and you'd like to read the full chapter, you can download a copy of it from my website at judegenison.com forward slash podcasts. Or if you'd like to hear real live stories of leaders who've led through uncertainty and how they've overcome their challenges, check out season one of this podcast, episodes one to 35, where I interview leaders from a variety of organisations on their experiences. There are some truly inspirational stories from leaders there. I'm Jude Jennison, host of the Leading Through Uncertainty podcast and founder of Leaders by Nature. Keep leading and I'll come back soon with the next chapter of my book, Leading Through Uncertainty.